Good morning. Uh, my name is Michael Scott, and I just want to thank you for joining us, whether you're watching online, at home, uh, or I don't know, at a coffee shop, wherever you're watching from, you're listening to later in the week, or if you're here in the space, thank you for being a part of this community. Now, how many of you, let me see some hands here in a second, at home too, you can put your hand up at home, okay? How many of you have had a bad boss? Almost everybody, right? The bad bosses like unite us. And one of the things in ways in which I unite people is I'm also a bad boss. Now, at home, if you're watching, if you had a bad boss, tell me a story. I want to hear a story. If you're in the space, don't talk while I'm talking. So, <laughs> bad bosses, we've all had them. I've been one. At an early age, I was a bad boss. You see, I was probably 16 years old uh, when a good friend of mine, her mom, started a construction company. And I was one of her first employees. And in the summertime, I'm a teenager, I'm in high school, and we would travel. One of the first things we did is we would build Payless shoe stores. Now, who all remembers Payless before they went into bankruptcy? right? I had some pro wings, pro wings in the house. Come on. Yeah, that was a thing. My kids are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Pro wings were like the cheap poor kid shoes and I had to wear them all the time. Okay. So we used to go in, we'd fixture a payless. We couldn't build them initially. We had to just go in and fixture them. And we would go on these jobs and we'd travel. And when we got there, we would hire this company called Labor Ready or Manpower. And these were temporary laborers that would come and work with us. And uh, my mentor, Lori Perry, my, my boss at the time, um, she did something really stupid. She put me in charge. And so uh, I thought it was the best thing ever, right? I'm like, ooh, I have power. These people will say what I do if I just look at them and say, do it, right? And I, and I, and I let it go to my head, right? I loved it. I would be working all day, and I was a little tyrant. And I don't know. I don't know if she liked it or not, but I, she let me do my thing. And uh, I wasn't very nice to people sometimes. Um, but I was effective. I got stuff done. Now, how many of you have felt like you've been in that situation where maybe you're given a little bit of power? Maybe power is given to you from somebody else, or maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe you're born with it. I don't know. But how many of you have felt like you've ever abused your power? I'll raise my hand. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, because if I see you, I will judge you. So I'm just kidding, just a little. So I think we've all found ourselves in a position of power, possibly, and we've abused that power. Now, I would abuse that power because I wanted to make money and I was, you know, I wanted to get stuff done. We had deadlines. Uh, but it wasn't just in that situation that I had power and abused it. You see, I came to grow to like power and authority and influence. Do some of you find yourself in that same position? And so I would go on to pursue and to chase power, authority, and influence. And what I would tell you is I haven't always used it for good. And I want everybody to think about this morning. I want you to know that you have power. I believe that you were born with power. Some of us have more power than others. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But I want to talk about the ways in which we use that power. You see, we're starting week three in Lent. And I'm going to remind you every week, Lent isn't just about giving something up. Lent is the time and space where we give something up under the premise of that we fill it with something else. Meaning Lent is the time of reflection. We look at our lives and say, you know what? Ooh, maybe... Maybe I could do better here or there. Now, the way we do that, the way we learn, the way we self-reflect is by hearing stories, stories about other people. And often it's not stories about people doing good. That's inspiring sometimes. But often we learn from other people's stories when they've done something not good, when they've done it the wrong way. When I hear people's stories, I said this last week, I want to hear the things, how have you messed up and how have you gotten back up and how have you done something about it? How have you changed your behavior in some way? Because to me, that's the important thing is that we can adapt, that we can change, that we can learn from other people's stories. 
I mean, the whole idea of parenting is that, right, there are people that have gone before us and done the thing, and, and of course, we all listen to our parents, right? Kids, nod your head. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Yeah, okay. But we, we, we find in other people's stories, often in their mistakes, we find something that hopefully speaks to us. Sometimes when I hear a story and somebody's made a mistake and I'm like, ooh, I've done that. Are you with me on this? Uh, I, I think we can look at ourselves and Lent is the time. Not that we shouldn't be doing it all the time, but Lent specifically in our tradition, in our Christian faith, is this time where we look at our lives, we read or we hear stories, we self-reflect, and then we try to make changes in our life. So the point of Lent is that we're inserting something that's good into our lives, not just taking something out like Diet Coke or chocolate or wine or whiskey, whatever, whatever your poison of choice is. Uh, it's not just about taking those things out. It's about saying we can be better people. And so this Lent, I decided to focus on the story of Easter because the, the story of Easter speaks to all of us. The story of death and resurrection or death of something old and something that has new life is important. And it speaks to everybody throughout all humanity because we literally come from death. Every atom, every cell in our body was something else at some other point. Everything started in the universe as little itty-bitty particles of energies, and those co- coalesced to hydrogen, and hydrogen fused in suns, and to, to helium, and to carbon, and to oxygen, and to all these other things, and eventually we came into existence. And I believe that that was good. And I believe that when we say we were created to be good, that all those things are good, and that something had to die in order for us to exist today. Everything that we consume, everything that we have, is because something else died and something new took its place. Now, the first week, we talked about somebody. I don't know. This is why I have notes. Judas. Okay. We talked about Judas and we talked about greed. Uh, we have this tendency to be greedy. Really, this, greedy, this whole thing is about giving up control. Uh, we have to learn to give up control of things. Last week, we talked about Peter. Now, Peter was constantly afraid of stuff. Peter was fearful in his life. And that fear has this tendency to drive us to make bad decisions because when we're fearful, when we find ourselves in a place of fear, we go limbic. I mean, that means we go to fight, flight, or freeze, and we don't make good decisions. And so fear is not a good place to be in. You see, when we have faith, when we trust, when we are a part of something that is greater than us, we are able to do good things. Now, today I want to talk about our power. Now, the person in this story, the Easter story, right? So we've been telling everybody's stories. Really, we're focusing on uh, bad men. Men who made maybe some, uh, not maybe, they made some bad decisions. And we read about their story in the Easter story. And so there was this woman who put perfume on Jesus' feet, right? Judas didn't like it. Judas gets mad. Judas goes off and betrays Jesus. And that story goes, it keeps happening and happening and happening. Uh, Up to last week when Peter, after Jesus is taken uh, to be tried, he's denied Jesus and he lives in fear. In that same time period, I want to talk about this guy named Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas was a high priest, Okay, so Jesus um, was born uh, in the Middle East, right? Jesus was not white. Jesus was born in the Middle East. He was born a Hebrew, or he was born as a Jew. And so the faith at the time was the Jewish faith. Now, you have the Roman Empire over here. They ruled everything. They were in charge of, of, of everything. But then underneath that, you still had a ruling body of Jewish people. Okay, so Rome was in charge, but in Jerusalem, where Jesus found himself the last week of his life, uh, the the great Mecca is happening, right? Every year they get together for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They get together uh, for Passover week where they celebrate their heritage and where they came from, and they have meals, and they they do all these celebratory things. So this is the last week of Jesus' life. This is the scenario which we find ourselves in. Now, as tens of thousands of people are coming together into Jerusalem, um, the high priests, they would have been in charge of a lot of the ceremonies. And Jesus comes, and he stirs the pot. 
Jesus flips everything upside down, including tables, and he gets in the people's pocketbooks and he starts saying crazy things that the religious people don't like. Now, I find it interesting. Jesus didn't come and he wasn't a priest, right? Jesus wasn't a part of the religious system. Jesus came in outside of the religious system and talked to all people. See, Jesus addressed both Jews and then everybody else had a group. They called them Gentiles. Jesus is like, no, I came for everybody, not just these people over here who happen to have this certain kind of faith. I came to talk to all people. And so Jesus is there, and then the chain of events happened that led to Jesus being taken. Okay, so Caiaphas is the high priest. Uh, we know from historic documents, Caiaphas would have had a really nice house. Uh, Caiaphas was uh, compensated well um, via the Roman Empire, via the people of Jerusalem, um, to oversee their people. Okay, so Caiaphas gets mad. Jesus comes and stirs the pot. Jesus starts things, saying things that are counterintuitive to their way of life and to their faith. And so I want to read just a little bit about how Caiaphas deals with this, okay? So Caiaphas is in a position of power. He has power and authority. And what he says often happens within limits of the Roman Empire. But I want to read, so we're in John 11, if you're following along with me. And I want to read a little bit about, so you can get kind of the nature of Caiaphas or where he's coming from. And so uh, it says, this was a turning point for many of the Jews who were with Mary. So with Mary and Jesus. They saw what Jesus did and believed in him. But some went back to the Pharisees and told on Jesus, right? Jesus is doing great things. He's saying things. You're not going to like this guy. So they're trying to get him removed. Um, the high priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Jewish, the Jewish ruling body. They say, what do we do now? They asked, this man keeps doing uh, things, creating God signs, if we let him go on, pretty soon everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and remove what little power and privilege we still have. One of them, his name was Caiaphas, the designated high, the chief priest that year, spoke up. Don't you know anything? Can't you see that it is to our advantage that one man dies for the people rather than the whole nation be destroyed? So in their minds, they're coming together. These are the, the religious people. So let's just put it in today's context. There's somebody saying things that's counterintuitive to traditional Christian values. Okay? This is what Jesus did. Traditional Jewish values. Jesus was saying things that were counterintuitive to their values. So if there was somebody today saying something that's counterintuitive to traditional Christian values, uh, we see this all the time. People get together and they say, ooh, we don't like this. Because they want to preserve their way of life. I mean, how many of us do this? We like preserving our way of life and we use our power to preserve our way of life. Now, what happens in that scenario? We draw a circle at some point. And everybody in that circle is in. They're a part of our group. But when you draw a circle, guess what there are? There are people outside of that circle. See, Jesus repeats this over and over again. Jesus didn't come for the people that were already in the circle, that already had community, that already had a group of people for which they believed and had a faith and were doing things. Jesus is like, I come for everybody. And specifically, he focused on the people. We call them people on the outskirts, the outside, the fringes. Jesus chose to spend his time with them, not with the religious people. And so Caiaphas is like, this guy is wrecking our world. And we've all been there, I think. And then he makes this statement. He says, you know, it's better that one man should die than the whole nation be destroyed. Now, like every week, I've, I've said this about the bad boys, right? I'm like, hmm. I mean, you've been there, right? We've all created en enemies in our head. Um, a lot of you have political enemies. 
I always like to bring up politics. Everybody's so passionate about it right now. Like there's some enemy in your head right now. You're like, ah, it'd be better if that guy were dead or woman. But let's be honest, men, we're the idiots. We're the, we do bad things. Okay. So we find ourselves in a situation where he's like, you know, it's better. Now, the premise of this isn't necessarily bad, right? It's better one person die than a whole nation die. When he makes a blanket statement like that, I'm like, I could get on board with that. And I've probably actually said things like that. Maybe not to that extreme that somebody should die, but to the extreme of which I would cancel somebody. It's better we just shut them out, completely get rid of them, than for a whole group of people to dwindle, to die, to perish, however you want to say that. And so once again, I find myself going, okay, Caiaphas, I'm listening. I can get on board with that. Of course, Caiaphas, they would falsely accuse Jesus of things. And they bring Jesus actually in front of them. This will give you some insight to who Caiaphas was. They bring Jesus in front of them and he says, are you the thing that you claim to be? The people that they say you are. Are you the chosen one? Are you the divine one? Are you the, the son of God? Right? Of course, we're all sons and daughters of God. I mean, it just means we all come from the thing that is good, that is God, however you define that. But, but they ask him all these questions and they accuse him of this. And Caiaphas is in the face, and Caiaphas is so mad because Jesus is just standing there. At first, he doesn't even answer. He's just like, well, if you said it, okay. Caiaphas gets so mad at Jesus that he literally tears his clothes off and throws them on the ground. Caiaphas has so much power that he's able to look somebody, a peaceful person, in the face and physically tear their clothes off and throw them on the ground. Caiaphas would go on to convince everybody that Jesus needs to be put to death. Caiaphas has all this power, all this power. And instead of using it for good, instead of reaching out to the margins, the people who don't fit in, the people who don't have a home, the people who don't have a safe place, right? Safe place. Sanctuary means safe place. Instead, they focused on a common enemy where they could just get rid of them. He used his power to cancel somebody else out instead of including those that should be included, instead of including everybody. You know, I, I look around in our cultures all around the world, and here in the United States, we have all these celebrity, all these people have all this power and all this influence. And people get mad at them sometimes when they use it for certain things, when they use it to, for good sometimes or for bad. Now, I see people sometimes they use their influence and they speak out against other people. That's one way to use your power and influence. That's the way Caiaphas used his power and influence. Or I would say there's another way to use our power and our influence. You see, I believe that we have power and influence because we are to use that to include everybody to persuade others that all are welcome to a common table. All are welcome to the house. Whatever analogy you want to use, everybody is welcome to the same place. I saw that this week. We have an organization called Relatable that spurred out of this church where we build tables for kids uh, that are graduating out of the foster care system or for, for individuals who can't afford a table. We build physical tables. And there are people in our community, people like Erica Lucas, who owns Sandy's Restaurant, who did a thing called Roundup for Relatable, where she was able to get people to donate money. This last Friday, David Mann, one of our board members who owns East 40 Brewery, they brewed a beer called the Relatable Beer. We did a launch party with it. 
I see Megan and Derek Nolan who go to church here, who have a construction company, who are, are lending tools and people to help, to use their influence to help those around them. You see, instead of canceling out the bad person, right, which throughout the history of time is what people want to do, I'm good, you're bad, I'm going to use my energy and effort to do away with you. You see, Jesus flips that upside down. Jesus says, even if you have that person that's bad that you want to do away with, you're still to love them. We call them enemy. We call them other. You see, Jesus had a ton of power and influence, but it had nothing to do with religion and it had nothing to do with politics. You see, Jesus had power and influence because he had relationships with people. Jesus had relationship power. Relationship are where it lies. That's the important thing of life, that we have relationships. And when we have those relationships, we can use that to influence for the good. You see, and Jesus didn't project a, com- a common enemy. We didn't have an enemy with, with Jesus. You see, Jesus empowered all people. He had these 12 people that followed him around. They were his good friends. He said, you know what? You go be leaders. You see, he gave them power and authority. He said, actually, and it's not just you. It's not just Jewish people. All people, Gentiles included. In their day and age, even Samaritans. Samaritans. Jesus talked about race, y'all. They were racist towards Samaritans. She's like, even the Samaritans. You see, it's their job. It's everybody's job to do the work of God, which is counterintuitive to the way they thought. In their system, in their multi-God system, their polytheistic ways in the Roman Empire, or even in the Jewish tradition, they were, they were waiting on a third party to come and save them from something. And when Jesus shows up as this ordinary carpenter, what he told them was, go, I'm giving you the power You go and do the things. You go and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and take care of the widow. You empower the people around you. And the religious elite did not like this. The people in power hated this because what did it do? You see, if they were a high priest and they spoke for God, guess what happens when you start empowering people? It takes your power away. You see, we exist here as a community, not because I'm a liaison between you and God. I don't have answers. I don't speak for God. I'm here, we are here, we exist to empower each other to do good stuff in our communities, to love on those, to include. When those signs say accepted, included, and loved as you are, we mean it. Two years ago this month, the Methodist Church went through a very difficult time because we were wrestling with the LGBTQ plus community. We didn't know how to quite make sense of it, how to include people, and it it didn't go well. And I remember thinking two years ago, I was sad and I was troubled and I was hurt. And I came out and I said some very strong things. And when I say strong things, I stood up here and I told you we're going to be a church that loves and includes and accepts every doggone person that walks in this door. I tried to use my power and influence and it made people mad. Some of you hearing this this week are going to get mad that I'm saying this. There are people on the outskirts, there are people who are marginalized, and I don't care if it's about race, it's about sex, sexual orientation, I don't care what it is. We exist to empower all people, period. That is what we are to use our power for, to love everybody, to include everybody, to accept everybody. And that means to empower them. That means to spend time with them. That means to build relationships with them. That means to teach them that it is their job to go and love other people. You see, we don't exist to come here and feel good about ourselves on Sunday morning. If you leave here every Sunday feeling good and warm and fuzzy, I'm not doing my job. 
I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to push you. I'm here to say it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes, and that's okay. I'm here to say that we are to love those around us, and by loving people, that means to impart the power that we have to everybody, to help people live out their dreams, to help people be loving and inclusive. You know, in church, we have this tradition. There's a tradition that we actually, we've never observed it here in the last four and a half years, but a lot of churches have this tradition. How many of you have been to a church, even at home, you've been to a church where they pass the offering plate? Yeah? Yeah? We're going to do that. No, we're not going to do that this morning. But this is a thing. It's, it's a symbol. What does is, what is this little thing right here symbol symbolize? It's a symbol of what? Power. Authority. You can use this to influence, right? And so the tradition in the Christian world is that we pass an offering plate because it's the invitation for you to share a little bit of that power in, in this certain way. Now, we don't do that here, but today I want to do something different. If you reach underneath you, underneath your seat, there are two things. There's an envelope. This morning, we're having a reverse offering. A very generous member of our church, well, not too generous because it was my wife, put a dollar in each of these envelopes for the premise of, I want to show you, I want to remind you, I want you to realize that all of you, even if you didn't, now you do. You have just a little bit of power. If you didn't think you did, you have a dollar. It's not a lot of power, but it's a little bit of power. And you have a chance to do something. I hope you put that on your dash. I hope you give it away. I don't know what you want to do with it. I want it to symbolize and remind you that you, as you're about your business this week, as you go back to the office, as you go back to school, as you eat in restaurants, whatever it is that you do, as you're at the grocery store, I want that dollar to remind you that you have power, that you have influence. And you have a chance to do something with that power and influence. You can use it to hurt your enemies, to try to remove them, to cancel them out. Or you can, do it, you can use that power to love, include, and accept those around you. Now, the other thing we do as Christians, another tradition that happened during this story that I'm talking about with Jesus and Easter story, is that Jesus, the last week of his life, actually moments before he was taken away to be tried in front of Caiaphas, he sat down with his friends. And Jesus told his friends, he said, listen, one of the most important things you'll do, right? We still do this. One of the most important things we do is we sit around and we, we have meals together. And when we have meals together, what happens? You see, the table is the great equalizer. The table is the great distributor of power. When we're sitting at a table... That's why I like round tables, right? There's no head. When we're sitting around a table, we are all equal. We all have the same power. We're all eating the same food. You see, a meal, the table, is symbolic of how we are to live our lives. And so our tradition is that we do this thing that Jesus did with his disciples. And he got together and he had a meal with them and he passed bread around and he passed wine around. In one of the stores, he passes wine around twice, which I know some of you do. And we eat, and we drink, and we celebrate. And the, the point of this meal, Jesus says, is that when you do this, and you're going to do it often, smart man, we're all going to eat. He said, let your conversations about, be about doing good things. Right? Let them be about the things that I have taught you. To take care of the widow and the orphan, the imprisoned, 
To talk about equality amongst all people, equality just means that we are sharing our power amongst each other. Let your conversations be about that. So when you get together, you're going to get together with family today. You're going to get together with friends. Maybe that's virtually, maybe that's in person. I don't know. But I want to remind you that this thing we're about to do is not what true communion, we call it communion, is about. The real communion happens around your dinner tables and the restaurant tables and the bar tables. It happens when you have conversations and you're sitting around a table and you had an idea one day about this organization called Relatable, where you're going to feed the world. You're going to make tables, right? These things happen. Let those conversations be about inclusion, acceptance, and love. And so I'm going to invite you. Now, if you're at home, grab your coffee, grab some eggs, some sausage, some bacon. Now I'm hungry. I'm going to invite you to take this little cup. And on the top of this cup, there's a, a Jesus. That's what I like to call it. It's like, it's like a Jesus cheese it, but it's fine. I can't open. I can never get mine. Okay. There's a wafer on top that you're supposed to eat, and then you open it up underneath, and there's some, some juice. So I'm going to invite everybody. If you're at home, take a sip of coffee. The reason we do this is to remind ourselves that when we do this with other people, when we're around other tables in life, when we're around conference tables and work tables and coffee tables and dinner tables and bar tables, that as we drink wine or juice or as we eat, may our conversations be about love, inclusion, and acceptance. May the things we do, may the things we accomplish, may they be for good. And one of the ways we say that is they give honor and glory to God. As you do that, as you do that at home, and as you do that in this space, let's go to God in prayer and ask to help change our hearts to be in that place. God, we thank you for the opportunity. God, to know that we have power. God, to know that you give us power. Some power is inherited, some power is given, some power is earned. God, help us to be free with that power, whether that's in the form of money, God, or time, or whatever resource that is, God, help us to be free with that power. God, help us to know there are people around us in which we can empower to love, God, to build up, to build leaders, just like the model that you showed us. God, today, people are going to leave here with a dollar bill in their hands. God, I just want to pray that that dollar bill has power in it. May, as they go on their lives, as they touch, as they feel, as they see that dollar, I just want to instill in their minds right now and in their hearts specifically, God, that it will remind them that there are people who need that power. That there are people who need that inclusion, that acceptance, and that love. And God, that here in this space, that means everybody regardless of orientation or sex or race. God, that's, that's all people. Help us to remember that every day. Help us to remember that, God, there is no common enemy, that the enemy lies within us, that the only person that we can change is ourselves, and that as we do that, as we give our power away to those around us, may that power be multiplied. May it be taken by other people and used for good. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.